I grew up going to Christian schools and graduated from Dort. I'm a Christian, a friend, and a family member. I am compassionate, fun, caring, and active. You and I are similar in many ways, but I don't always feel like I belong because I'm also gay. I came to terms with my sexuality while I was at Dort. Through middle and high school, I tried to tell myself it was changeable or a phase and denied that I was gay and felt ashamed. Early in my first year, I started to come to terms with it. My first time admitting it to God and myself allowed me to feel a closeness to Him. I hadn't felt in a while because I was trying to hold truth from God or myself. I hated this part of myself and still felt shame, but I knew I needed to be honest about it. However, I didn't tell others because I felt I had too much at stake within my communities. I chose struggling through a big secret and not processing it with others over vulnerability because I didn't know if I would be able to participate in my community in a respected way. However, I got to the point that I couldn't take it anymore and I told a friend who let me wrestle with questions instead of telling me what to believe or do. Some months later, I started to tell many of my close friends I couldn't live with the tension around keeping something of my identity so hidden. Many of these conversations were so healing for me. I was able to process who I was and what it meant for me to live out my sexuality in a Christian environment. My friends were able to tell and show me I was loved no matter what, which I never truly believed because I had never felt fully known. Fortunately, I had positive interactions with individuals when I came out to them and a few relationships noticeably changed. People at Dort loved me as best they knew how. They helped me process and tried to encourage me and they didn't always do it well. People quickly told me how I was to live instead of asking me what it was like to grow up gay in this space or the process of wrestling with my sexuality and faith as they have so often been taught that they can't intersect. However, I was careful who I came out to at Dort and the people who communicated empathy and love for marginalized people when it, it wasn't personal got the privilege of helping me process and come to terms with my sexuality because they showed they cared for people like me in abstract ways. I no longer see being gay as bad. I don't see it as sinful to simply be attracted to the same sex, nor is it an extra hard burden to carry. I do interpret scripture to say that sex is reserved for marriage between one man and one woman. Because of this, I will work to live a celibate life, to make way for a more flourishing life in Christ. And because of God's work in me, I'm proud of who I am becoming, not in spite of my sexuality, but including it. Being honest with God and others and diving deep into God's whole word to come to a position on his view of sexuality causes me to grow as a Christian. I read the entire Bible because I wanted to know all of who God was. I further understand his love, mercy, justice, kindness, holiness, and more, all because I wrestled with my sexuality. Just because I'm attracted to men does not mean I'm different from others in drastic ways, and I'm still a very typical sexual being. I think about sex in proportionally similar ways to other single people. Being gay is not the only, but an important part of my identity. Not acknowledging or talking about it would be dishonest. And it's here I've worked hard to come to terms with my sexuality and I'm working through internalized homophobia to see this as a beautiful piece of who I am. Yes, my sexuality is broken and so is yours. People who are straight are not perfect and have their own stuff to work on too. I encourage you all to think about sexual minorities as people. We're trying to live our best lives just like you. We're your siblings in Christ and we're human just like you. Please uphold our human dignity in ways you talk, even when you don't think we're in the room. People have questioned my salvation 
If I'm fit to lead a Bible study, youth group, interact with youth in one-on-one settings or hold leadership positions at all because they haven't taken the time to listen, ask questions, or read the Bible with an open heart and hear what God has to say. Those of us actively working through what our sexuality means and how to live it out need space, encouragement, and people to sit there and wrestle through the hard questions rather than telling us Sunday school answers. Let us wrestle with it, stick around, and encourage us. My story is complicated and it's not the same for all LGBTQ people. How I'm trying to faithfully live out my sexuality is not the same as others, but we all still deserve love. Please listen, respectfully ask questions, love us, and see us as humans, just like you, just like God does. During this series of messages, we've been reflecting on this notion of grace and truth not simply because it's the title of the book we've been using along with it um, by Dr. Preston Sprinkle, but also because the church has had a very difficult time um, reconciling these two things. And when it comes to our sexuality, the understanding of grace and truth, sometimes we use grace like an excuse, and sometimes we use truth like a weapon. But they're not polar opposites, and they're not a yin and yang that sort of somehow we're supposed to balance one another out. They're adjectives. Both used to describe the Son of God. Jesus is grace. Jesus is truth. They're not theological abstractions. They are realities in the person of God and to be embodied in his people. And so we wrestle through what that looks like and we have hard conversations about that. And we enter into the story of students around us. Every one of us has unique struggles. Every one of us has um, unique sins in our own life, and you heard the struggles of one. And we want to um, invite another voice into our conversation today. Um, I'm going to invite a special guest to come join me on stage. Um, this is a friend, Tyler Peeper, um, grew up at Sioux Center. He's going to tell you a little bit more of his story. We've learned from Preston Sprinkle in this series that um, we're not just talking about political ideas, we're talking about people. We're not just talking about issues, we're talking about image bearers. And so we need to hear from the people that we need to listen to the most and should have the loudest voices in this, and a beautiful soul and a courageous follower of Jesus, and I was so delighted that he agreed to be here with us today and help share his story. Tyler Peeper, will you please come join us? Thanks. Hi. Hi. Well, thank you. You drove up from Omaha this morning. I did. To do this. And yeah, bright and early. I think I hit the road at like 4.30. So. Okay. It's not that impressive. I'm an early riser. It wasn't really super hard for me, but yeah. So you, you regularly get up like that early or just early? If I am in a full swing season of like ambition and like optimum function, four o'clock is probably my power hour, uh, but it also means like bed by like 8.30, 9, so the social life can be lacking um, once in a while. Yeah, that, that would put a damper on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tyler, can you, can you tell us your story? Just t- tell, tell us your testimony. Yeah, I can do that. Um, I want to say, you guys, the, I just feel the spirit so thick in here this morning, and it's such a pleasure to come to my hometown and... Um, be in the middle of such authenticity. I feel so welcome. I'm so thankful when I was praying this morning about coming to talk to you guys and just asking the Lord for a picture. And um, 
this will sound a little goofy, but I, he knows my heart and he knows that I love soup. And I could just see Jesus standing over the stove, kind of making this enormous pot of soup for us all to partake in. And um, what he was kind of, I feel like, highlighting to me was just the aroma of that and um, how that draws everybody into the same room to just be in his presence. And so just in this room, I envision that pot of soup kind of drawing us all in. We're all, we're all hungry for something that he has to say, um, for the Spirit to maybe speak something new to our heart, maybe in an area that we're not the most open or um, even a, a place that we don't want to, want to process. So um, anyway, just to, to preface with that, I, um, I grew up in Sioux Center. Um, I think the last time I was in BJ Hahn Auditorium was 10 years ago for my high school graduation, um, so it's been a little bit. But um, yeah, I uh, kind of the whole point of this talk as a whole um, sometimes feels like has nothing to do with sexuality whatsoever, but the bulk of my story also has to do with um, kind of generational sin I've had to fight through. So I also, um, if it were up to my family tree, I would, I would be an addict or reigning poster child for dysfunction. Um, just really unhealthily dependent. Those are all themes that have run through my family for generations. And so um, in so many ways, I've found such peace and in, in freedom in my difficult sexuality journey by finding uh, this really beautiful narr- narrative in a, in a grander picture. Um, but I, I grew up here. I remember having kind of inclinations toward the same sex um, I mean, relatively inappropriate for my age as, as young as five years old. Um, and so that was something that was just kind of carried with me, but it kind of manifested itself just in my interests, mostly as a child. I loved to play with dolls, and I loved to play house and um, Barbies with my friends. Definitely always more emotionally inclined. I think it's in every baby book that my mom ever kept of me was just this inclination toward um, what people would say were more feminine attributes or feminine qualities or whatever. So um, that was a big portion of it. That was a, um, I say that to say that it was a noticeable thing about my, my person, right? Growing up in a small um, conservative town, that was something that was noticeable um, about Tyler Peeper. So um, as you get older, um, I mean, what do you do with it? Especially, I've explained to you a little bit, um, maybe the lack of nurture in my home um, and just the chaos that kind of surrounded that. And so definitely just searching for all these places to, to put my identity. Um, but middle school is that really tough age where people start to call these things out in you when you are different than <laughs> your peers, and they start to label you. Um, so it was really that kind of middle school time when you're here, you leave elementary school and go to middle school, fourth to fifth grade. And um, that was a hard time because friends are changing and you're starting to take interests in, um, in different things. And so that's when words like gay or, I mean, faggot or anything of the sort will start to kind of make their way into the halls, again, in our small conservative Christian town. And um, so those, those things started to be uh, commonalities from my own experience. I gravitated toward um, having friends who were female versus male only because they kind of validated the way that I wore my heart on my sleeve and carried emotion with me. Um, in a really beautiful way. And so that kind of happened. But long story short, this this comes to a peak when we all are, um, I mean, adolescents going into puberty and 
you know, the awkward phase for everybody in figuring it out. And for me, um, that looked mostly like same-sex attraction. And so I have this kind of um, inner narrative happening um, where I am one person and figuring it out all by myself because, again, there just isn't, there's not really a safe place to go. There's not a safe uh, person to bring it to, um, safe person to talk to. Um, anyway, I, I don't look on it too fondly, but I kind of remember having been forced out of the closet, so to speak, around 16, 17, um, just telling the wrong friend, I think, caught wildfire. And then, again, being in Sioux Center, it just everybody knew within <laughs> a matter of by the end of the day, if not before. Um, and that's given a lot of credit. Um, so anyway, I kind of uh, came out involuntarily. Um, but uh, with that being said, I it oftentimes felt maybe like a trailblazer, so to speak. There was um, a pride that I took in having um, this difference of identity, um, especially um, in the environment that I grew up in where I could kind of trailblaze something. It was something that I really attached to and I started to see my, my difference and uniqueness as more of a positive thing and I clung to it and I had a dad and a stepmom who um, really loved me from um, a position where uh, they had hoped change to some degree could come in my life, but loved me in full, despite of um, the person that I was um, portraying or letting kind of take center stage in my own heart. Um, so I lived fully out and gay from 16, 17, um, right up until my 21st birthday, which will be um, eight years in January. So um, it's been seven years since God kind of made a change in my life. But what that looked like was, it's hard to even preface because it is something that kind of happened out of the blue in my own heart. I grew up in the church, um, as you do when you live in Sioux Center. Um, I grew up in the church and I didn't think it took much weight or hold on me because it wasn't something that I was incredibly interested in aside from like doing devotions with my parents once in a while growing up. But um, anyway, I um, was just about to turn 21 and I had this uh, radical encounter with the Holy Spirit in the hallway of, of my apartment in Sioux Falls. And um, I know now that um, there were some people very intentionally praying for my identity through the night um, that particular evening. I didn't know that part of the story for a really, really long time, but the, the simple um, way to put it is that I just had this out-of-the-blue encounter, and um, I heard, um, heard in my heart a voice say, my son, this is not how I've meant for you to live. Um, this is not who you are, and this is not who you're going to be. And because of some themes in my own life, I knew that this voice, Holy Spirit, Father, Jesus, was referring to my sexuality specifically. Um, and then from there, uh, yeah, it just, it un unfolds from there. And how did that conversation go in terms of coming back into a community or groups of friends um, in terms of you sort of having this incredible encounter with the Lord? <laughs> And then, you know, I think a lot of us experience that we want to do something new, we want to do something different, we really feel God's gotten a hold of us, but our stories hold us back, or what people already know or believe about us, or the stereotypes or the caricatures that they've created, 
become very um, confining. Can you talk to that a little bit? I mean, did you felt freedom to move that way, or did you feel pushed into an identity that people already had for you? Yeah, I, I, um, I definitely felt, I felt free, um, but I will also say is that it was the hardest decision that I ever made because that's the, that's the whole point, you guys, right? Like we have a decision to make in these moments when the Lord lays something before us, we can, we can choose him or we can not choose him. And so it was a very difficult thing. I lost a lot of friends in the process who, um, again, in a small conservative town, can, like really supported me and um, loved me well um, as this minority sexuality. And um, it was re- it was really really hard. So I don't want to I don't want to downplay that at all. But I, um, as that progressed and as we figure out who we are. So for me, after this moment, um, there was a lot of um, feeling like I was trapped in a box that was preset for me. And so around that came a lot of issues for. Um, masculinity, like, am I dude enough? Like, is this thing complete unless I marry a woman? Is this, um, meanwhile, struggling to get honest that I still experience same-sex attraction um, in the middle of it all? So, lost a lot of friends who did support me, gained some new ones for the wrong reasons, eventually lost them too when they realized it's not like this, um, it's not this black and white thing. Um, Yeah, so it was hard. How did, how did your gay friends respond to you? Um, I, I would imagine that would be a, an equally hard conversation um, for people who automatically would have felt um, either judged by you um, or that you were some new convert to an idea that um, everybody needs to go through some sort of reparative process. Um, what, what was that like? What were those relationships like during that time? So almost immediately, you it's amazing how I can go from being like, gay star of like Northwest Iowa to bigot instantaneously. Um, Or that somebody brainwashed me, they used that word a lot, Um, was that you've been brainwashed by the church. And I knew it was just from an encounter. Like I knew nobody had convinced me. I wasn't in church at the time, really. I had kind of had inklings in my heart trying to like, just wanting to kind of figure something out in the realm of my identity, but um, it's a mixed, a mixed bag. I would say I don't have any um, friends who are super close that are out and living in the lifestyle, but I have a lot of, I have a lot of, um, I guess just, um, I guess comrades is a good word, a lot of love and respect with a lot of um, different people that are in a lot of different places in this sexuality journey. So um, a lot of them who fully um, support the digging through spirituality uh, process and are super supportive that way, um, and others who aren't receptive in the least. So, What were some of the most hurtful things um, that you've heard from the church, from Christians, like Give us some do's and don'ts on language to avoid when someone's genuinely just wrestling through issues relating to their sexuality. Yeah. So I live by a rule of kind of being an open book. Um, I have always been this way. Um, If I couldn't communicate something well with my words, I would like write it down on a piece of paper. I'd fold it up. I'd give it to my parents. They'd read it, and then they'd come get me and ask if I'm ready to talk. But that way it was like, 
in full expression, and um, I'm still that way. Um, but I think living in that openness about the struggle has made it um, easier for me to discern who may or may not be for just this holistic part of the sexuality journey of really pursuing Jesus in it. Um, so that's been helpful. But one thing I hear all the time is that, oh, the, the right woman will come along and she will have a special grace on her life for your story. And um, that never sits well um, to refer to special grace for anybody. Um, that is probably one of the more hurtful um, things that I've said. Otherwise, just kind of being in the context of completely um, not being able to share the intimate parts of the journey that I'm going through without the end goal being something in particular like marriage or um, that there is already this end goal in mind. And so I think the biggest thing to avoid is that that is for everybody across the board all the time, no matter what, um, and allowing that to outwardly, when you're looking at somebody, shape what you, the direction that you think they need to head, and when they don't fit into that, I think that's when things start to get really rubby and, and hurtful. So if I'm hearing you right, like creating space for everybody to kind of work through that in their own way and not projecting one person's story onto another. Yeah. I mean, we were both at the Preston Sprinkle event in Lamar's mm -hmm. sometime back, I think it was the last time I saw you, and I remember him talking about, like, if you've met one LGBTQ person, you've met one LGBTQ person. And I, was, <laughs> I remember that line stuck with me thinking, yeah, I mean, this, of course, right? Um, we are all incredibly unique, and it's just such an easy tendency for us in our mind to create categorical boxes because that's easier for us. Um, but for a church, or like, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to imagine there's some of us in the room even who are um, wrestling with secrets and questions inside of our own sexuality, um, including our attractions and where they're directed. Um, and I think that the choice most of us feel pressured toward in those settings are I either leave the church um, where I live into, like my same-sex attraction, or I, you know, renounce it, leave it a secret, don't deal with it, or jeopardize a lot of social capital and come out with that. Um, I mean, for anybody in the room sitting or wrestling in that space or anybody listening in, what, what do they need to hear? What, what do you want to tell them? I have found the most freedom um, in this journey. As a, I'll preface by saying I, um, I don't use a word like gay or homosexual to define me personally. Um, that's kind of been a part of the journey is that I took such stock in letting my sexuality identify me from the beginning that honestly there's just a complete disinterest to allow that to have, of course it's a big part of the human experience for anybody, uh, but I don't, I won't say I'm gay or that I'm homosexual, but I do um, experience same-sex attraction. But with that being said, what I've learned to be the most helpful in a journey through sexuality or where you're questioning, where the environment doesn't support or you don't think people are gonna love you. Um, a, to be honest or find somebody that you can talk to about it because your world will get much larger and much more peaceful. Um, and additionally, I've quit setting goals for myself in, in the realm of that outside of healing and just um, pursuing counseling and wholeness in my heart because 
I found that setting a goal to like not be same-sex attracted by the time I die is just going to water down a really beautiful story that God wants to write for my life and for um, you who are struggling. Um, and so to really give yourself the grace to not feel like it has to look a particular way. I would love to be married with children one day. Um, it's hard to, I mean, classify myself as heterosexual, but I don't define myself as homosexual, so I, um, I, would, I would love that, but I also know that uh, my sexuality journey is going to be a really intimate part of the story likely for the rest of my life, and that's not because I don't expect God to move and um, perform miracles in my own life. He knows what all of that looks like, but um, I just would say to, uh, honestly, it's getting honest enough to feel it in full in that private space. Um, I had a really hard time expressing that I still experienced same-sex attraction because um, it felt fraudulent, maybe, to what I had preached previously, um, where I said, I'm, I'm changed, I'm not gay anymore. And while that may be true, in, in essence, um, I still experienced same-sex attraction, and I um, had to really get gut level and um, let God into those spaces so that healing could actually happen, and anything else was kind of false. And so I... Um, yeah, in order to even not feel fraudulent with that, I had to understand that it's okay to um, believe something that I may not fully understand yet. So I got this word from the Lord. Um, I believe it in the pit of my soul. I filter um, all healing and experiences and fears and anxieties and worry through what he's spoken to me um, and then just resting assured that... Um, He's going to work that out for my personal good um, as it looks through the process of my own life. So I would do away with the goals outside of pursuing just a wholehearted um, living with Jesus. Yeah. That's good. Thank you for that. Yeah. And um, Tyler, I'm, I'm just always struck. I'm, by your honesty and your willingness um, to go into some of these parts um, of, of, of who you are and of what you felt and within your story. And, you know, this is where this transcends a conversation about sexuality because I, I think you model this so beautifully. Like, it's in the places of our deepest hurt where God often wants to create the greatest change and show us who he really is to us. So, I mean, maybe this would be a good place to close and finish. Like, who, who is Jesus to you now because you've allowed him into the place, right, where most people would have walled him off. Um, you know, we kind of keep these parts of our lives separate from him, but they're usually the place where he wants to do the greatest work. And I've just seen, I've seen that in you. I mean, and, um, the, the Jesus in you is beautiful um, to anybody who encounters you. So can you just sort of talk us into that a little bit? Yeah. So to not process these things that we are experiencing, that he already knows we are experiencing, means we're trying to keep something from the Lord that he already knows is happening. And it's hard to pin what you're so afraid of. I think um, there's going to be this natural inclination as the body of Christ that when we feel rejection in, in, in this environment. 
it has a hand in communicating how we think the Father is going to perceive us. And that's the most dangerous part about all of it, is that it, it stands power um, to make somebody believe that the Father isn't interested in your hurt or in, in, in your life or your, just your human experience. Like, I just think it's so, it's the most beautiful thing in the world to recognize that Jesus came as a human and lived fully human for 33 years to relate, you guys, to relate to his children. And I think about that being 28 um, and wanting that full spectrum. I just think, like, what a father. But it just stands so much ability to, um, to cause hurt in areas that there doesn't need to be. So when I came to recognize that... Um, Gosh, I think of Jesus and I think just like keeper, like kind keeper of my heart, like the place that's housing all of this turmoil, right? This, um, all of these things that we're going through. Um, so when I think of him as the keeper of my heart um, and understanding that I can't hide, from thing, hide things from him anyway, um, that's what's been so revolutionary. Um, I can't hide things from him, and um, there's just like, you can just relax and breathe <laughs> when you think about it that way. Yeah. That's good. Thank you for that. Yeah. Tyler, you are a beautiful and a courageous soul, and it is a delight to call you a friend and a brother in Christ. Yes. And will you join me in thanking Tyler for being here with us today?